0: Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning, welcome to Sound Insight, this is Tom Kern. it's great to be with you today. Today we're gonna to continue on with my second series that is intended to be a blessing to you. We're gonna be covering, again, the most critical areas for us to grow to become the saints God intends us to be, and that's prayer, without prayer, We won't know what our identity is, we won't go deeper into that identity, and we won't let that identity shine forth into the world to fulfill the God-given mission that is ours. So I'm really excited to bring you these foundational teachings on going deeper into prayer. I hope and pray that these are a blessing to you, and even more, encourage you to actually pray. We'll get started in just a minute with this next teaching. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor, licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home, it's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com drtomcurran.com well good evening it's great to have you all here tonight this is the second part of a six-part series on a catholic understanding of prayer and in this uh, six weeks we're going to dig into different aspects of the catholic tradition on prayer and tonight i i am hoping to share with you about a privileged place where jesus christ shows up today precisely to minister to you to meet you to encounter you to set you on fire luke 24 tells the story beginning at verse 35 of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the two disciples. One of them is named Cleopas. That's right, you knew that. (laughs) And they're fighting. They're arguing is the word in Greek. They're arguing as they go, and Jesus comes up. And do they recognize Jesus? Of course they say, come on, Jesus." No, they don't recognize him. And what does he do? He starts to speak to them about the scriptures and the way that the scriptures We're referring to him and what he just underwent through his death and resurrection. And do you remember what the disciples reported after Jesus revealed himself and they ran back to Jerusalem? What did they say? Our hearts were burning. Our hearts were burning inside. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the concept of burning in your heart? And your heart doesn't mean physically like, oh, I shouldn't have had so much fried food last night. Okay. We're not talking about that. We're talking about there's this sense of like heat and light and, 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 and consolation and, and illumination and this sense of nearness. And it's a sense of the personal presence of Jesus come close the reality of Jesus being stirred and stirring in us, that's your inheritance. If you've never experienced that before, you are missing out on part of how Jesus Christ, the living Lord, intends to come close to you. This is not some extraordinary gift that only certain people receive. No, what's your name? Yes. Tatum. Tatum, it's for you, but just for you on this row. No, it's for all of you. It's for each of you. Tatum, Jesus is going to meet you as you read this book. Whoa! Did we learn that? Is that something that we hear? Is that something, am I just making this up, right? Is this, is this really Catholic? Y- yeah now when i grew up i grew up in a catholic home but our bible was on the bookshelf it was on the bookshelf and i think a lot of catholic homes the bible was on the bookshelf and i remember i was curious at one point as a young teen and pulled the bible off the bookshelf and thinking well i hear it every sunday at mass why not try to figure it out so i started at the beginning and In the beginning was the word, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, that was good. Then I got to all the names. Methuselah was the father of Zerubbabel was the father of, and then it was, oh my goodness. And then the Israelites were fighting against the Jebusites and the termites, and it just was like, oh, this is never gonna end. So I said, I'm never gonna get through this. Let me go to the end and see how everything turns out. So I went to the book of Revelation and the scourge and the pestilence with the blood flowing as high as to the hips and and satan and three six 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 and i got scared so i shut the book and i put it back on the shelf this really happened it freaked me out right so the idea of the, the scriptures the word of god the bible as somehow a place of like nurturing my relationship with God, this was not what I was taught as a, as a, in a very Catholic home. And when my faith came alive, it came alive through a few key Catholic realities. The first was the Eucharist, the true presence of Jesus Christ right here. What a privilege it is for us to be able to have time doing these talks and worship In the presence of Jesus as Eucharist. It's not a thing who is there, it's a who who is there. It's the Lord Jesus. Come next week and we'll talk about how to have a personal, intimate, profound encounter with Jesus Christ in adoration. That's next week. Today we're going to talk about one of the lesser-appreciated, lesser-explored lesser appropriated. We haven't made it our own. And it's that Catholic teaching in reality that the scripture isn't just a book to put on the shelf, but it's the word of God. It's the word of God. The church teaches in the Second Vatican Council, in one of its teachings, Agentes, it says that in the scriptures, the father comes to his children lovingly to speak to them, So there's something about this book is meant to be a place of communication. St. Thomas Aquinas says, and we're going to explore this much more fully, he says that in reading the scriptures, it's the heart of Christ that becomes known. Well, who are you in the heart of Jesus? What does Jesus have in his heart for you? Do you want to know? Wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to be able to receive communication from the living Lord Jesus Christ. He's a living Lord. And to know what it is he has for you in his heart. He has something in his heart for you. We're going to learn how, in our tradition, we can approach this book as a place of encountering the heart of Jesus. Now, this becomes extremely important today. We live in a time where being a disciple of Jesus is an extraordinary thing. It is. And it's especially for the younger generation. There are some among us. Many of you are not part of the younger generation. You know who you are. And yet we have kids in that younger generation. And we know that there's a battle out there, waging a war for their souls, their hearts, and their minds. And the answer, the solution, the way forward that will provide a hedge of defense and a sense of flourishing today, when the battle is raging against them, it's Jesus. And it's not just Jesus as a concept or Jesus as a teacher and a teaching. No, it's the living Lord Jesus being with me. And so not only am I sharing about something that has Uh, that was incredibly foundational in my own awakening of faith as an 18-year-old. As an 18-year-old, when my faith was challenged and I went to the priest and he pointed me to the Eucharist, he also brought me to the scriptures. And when I went back to the scriptures and they came alive for me and I shared it with my brother, he was also challenged at the same time by those same friends, he also started reading the Bible. And it was in this amazing Like, again, the heart was burning on the inside. I knew that Jesus was somehow meeting me and reading the scriptures, and I wanted to share it with my family. And I grew up in a very traditional, conservative Catholic family. So when I showed up at dinner with the Bible, this was a surprise. And I said, tonight, can we pray before dinner? And my mom and dad just sort of froze and looked at each other, thinking, "Uh uh-oh. And I said, I'm going to read... From the gospel of matthew the sermon on the mount matthew chapter five six and seven (laughs) because of course i was led by god to do this this actually really happened okay and uh i started to read the sermon on the mount blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then my brother, my younger brother said, hey, what is going on? This is crazy. And I'm like, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Then my younger sister was like, stop doing that. This is crazy. And my parents were just frozen. That night, there were no converts. No one converted, no one came alive in faith. Afterwards, I can remember talking to my brother Uh, like we kind of huddled up in the room afterwards I said that didn't go as planned I said no and he said I think it was the devil and he said no I think it was you very humbling it was very humbling you see reading the bible is not magic it's not just start reading out the words out loud and all of a sudden they're gonna what was I thinking like my, bro- my siblings are going to break down weeping, saying, read more, Tom, please don't stop. I mean, I had no idea what I was thinking. But all I knew was this. I was stirred. Jesus had become alive for me in a new way in reading the scriptures. And I wanted that so badly for my siblings and for my parents. And so over the next 35 years, I've continued to lean on, look to, and be fed by this book, by the scriptures, because the scriptures are not just human words, but they're divinely inspired, which means that the Holy Spirit used human authors to convey what he intended. And so what I want to do is explore with you some of the ways in which we Catholics see, relate, and treat this book. I said those three words intentionally. How I see it, how I relate to it, and how I behave in relationship to it. And in doing that, to be able to say, oh, I get it, no wonder I've never had that sense of encountering Jesus in the scriptures. It's because of how I've experienced Catholics talking about the Bible up to now. So we're gonna learn tonight about three Catholic ways of seeing, relating to, and therefore behaving in connection to the Bible, okay? The first is, this is a book to be studied. I read the book to learn more about the author. And that's what Bible studies will do. I read more and I study the book to learn more about the author. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. It's extremely valuable. But is that the beating heart of Jesus? No, we're not there yet. You can learn amazing things about what's in the book and therefore about the author, but if that's as far as it goes, it hasn't gone far enough. So you read the book to learn more about the author. That's a book to be studied. Now, a book that's a manual with principles to be applied would say this, that I read the Bible to learn to follow the way of the author. The author who's my creator has given me a way of life and I'm called upon to follow that way. So I'm gonna learn about that way of life by reading this book and then I'll have these principles that I'll apply to my life. Does that make sense? That's a second way to relate to the Bible. Bible, do you know what Bible means? It means basic instructions before leaving earth. I just made that up. No, I did not. But a lot of folks will look at the Bible as offering us principles and practices that we are to follow. But the third is different. The third is I don't read the book to learn more about the author. I don't read the book to learn how to follow the way of the author, but rather I read the book to meet the author, to encounter, in a personal way, the living Lord. That's a different thing. That's different. So we're going to see how these three work together. I'm going to give you an example from yesterday's gospel of how these three work together. And then I'm going to give you some practices for the third way. Learning how to read the book in order to meet the author. So let's start with the first one. The first one is you read the book in order to learn more about the author. It's a Bible study. So this is where you will hear things like, the historical critical methods, literary criticism, textual criticism. This is where people relate to this book as an object, as a piece of data. And so you dissect it and you analyze it. And so you're gonna learn a tremendous amount by understanding the original languages that they're in. What did that word mean? Like for instance, Jesus came and he preached the good news. What's that word that we often use to refer to good news? It's called the gospel you know what gospel is? Well, gospel is a a literary genre. It's a type of writing. Gospel is a writing that comes from the king. Any proclamation that comes from the king is called gospel. So if you have the soldiers of the king coming up and tapping into uh, the, the town square, an announcement that says taxes are going up, You know what that was called gospel good news not because of the content but because of the source of the writing gospel means an announcement that comes from the king so jesus says i come to proclaim good news i come to proclaim the gospel i'm coming and i'm not just bringing an announcement that's my own but i'm here speaking on behalf of the king Ooh. You know what you just did? You just had a Bible study. You learned about the historical meaning of a word. Jesus was called, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a title of Jesus. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, the most important title is Son of God. But why Son of Man in the Gospel of Matthew? Well, Son of Man was a title that showed up in the period of the Pseudepigrapha, which you all know about. It's the time between Daniel, about 400 and and, 200 BC and 100 AD. It's these other writings that happened between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament that weren't considered uh, inspired by God, but were books that were influencing the the Jewish people at the time, like the the Apocalypse of Moses and the death of Adam and Eve and, and books like this. And there's a book called the Book of Enoch. And the Book of Enoch mentions a character, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man also shows up in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, he's this heavenly figure that has somehow divine attributes and prerogatives, but isn't God. And that's a big deal because in the Jewish mind, God is one. God is one. And if there's one God and one God alone, then another being that somehow is related to heaven is associated with glory, but isn't God. Is somehow hard to reconcile with this monotheism that God is one. So the figure of the Son of Man enters the picture in Daniel, is carried in the life of the Jewish people. In the book of Enoch, you have a greater unfolding of these divine attributes and prerogatives. And what does Jesus do? He grabs onto all of that and refers to himself as the son of man. So he's signaling to the Jewish people of the time, I am someone that has attributes and prerogatives that are associated with a heavenly being, but I'm here with you on earth. Ooh, this is Bible study, right? Uh, one last, is this interesting? Isn't it? You're learning more about your faith, right? Through a study of the Bible. Matthew 25 tells the story of the last judgment. Last judgment. Okay, who can help me now? Last judgment, Jesus separates them into two groups. The what? The sheep and the goats, right? The sheep and the goats. And what does he say about uh, when the king returns? Who gets to go to heaven and who gets sent off to talk in small groups? So... That was a little joke right there, all right. Who gets sent to, to hell? Who gets to go to heaven? The sheep and the goats. Those who get to go to heaven are what? Those who knew Jesus and professed faith in him. No, no. They visited the sick, the prisoner. They, what else did they do? They gave water to the thirsty. Like right? they did all of these works of mercy And when Jesus said, whenever you did that for the least of my brothers, you did it for me, they said, well, of course we knew that. No, they say, we had no idea. We had no idea. Well, wait a minute. This sounds like the only people who go to heaven are people who do good works. Because there's absolutely no reference to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a lack of recognition of Jesus Christ in those who get saved. What is that saying? Well, if we take that text only by itself in isolation, we're going to get confused. But if we realize that Matthew was writing in a context of a Jewish community that already had professed faith in Christ, and he wanted them to go deeper to realize that it wasn't good enough to simply say, I profess faith in Christ, unless that faith took action. If your faith is without works, it is dead. And be careful. Professing faith in Christ might not actually get you to heaven in the way you think, unless that faith is manifesting itself in these works. Wow. But that's all a result of study. Okay, great. So that's some examples. And then there are other kinds of literary uh, and other kinds of critical methods. Then there's a whole other branch of interpretation theory. It's called hermeneutics. And that's where you study not just the book, But the book in relationship to people who are reading it, like the book, this book isn't just what it means in itself. It, it, It is what it means to those who are reading it. That's what it really means. That's what God's really saying. So you have all of these scientific methods of studying this book, which you can, guess what? Why? Because it's a book to be studied and you can use scientific tools to study and get insights about the book. Is that helpful? Absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Let's go deeper. A second level and a second way of relating, remember how you see the book is how you relate to it. If it's not an object to be studied, it's a manual with principles to be applied. Then all of a sudden we can say, I read the book to learn how to live. How do I pray? Well, let me go to Luke chapter nine. Jesus, teach us how to pray. What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord? Well, let me go to Matthew five, six, and seven. Let me read it to you right now. It's the Sermon on the Mount and we'll learn about how blessed it is to be poor in spirit but well, what does that mean how do i take that truth and apply it to my life we can look at the the letters of paul and read this list of virtues that we are to embrace and chase after these ideals that we must make real and we can learn about these evils these sins that will damage or cut us off from god in a life-giving relationship with jesus and so reading the scriptures to gain insight into how to live is absolutely essential. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If I'm going to be someone who imitates Christ, then I ought to look at this scripture to shine a light on my life. And so that's a second example of how do we relate to the Bible. Okay, but let's go deeper. Let's talk about the idea that we are meant to read the scriptures in order to meet the author. What does that actually look like? Hey, this is Dr. Tom Carran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in Eastern Washington and Northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. What does it mean to read the scriptures to meet the author? Um, I'm going to take you through the, uh, the gospel in a way that says, oh, if we study it, we get this insight. If we apply it, we get this insight. But as a place of encounter, This is what it looks like, okay? I'm going to read it quickly. You probably remember it. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when they saw them, and when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned glorifying God in a loud voice. He fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, 10 were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has saved you. So it's the gospel from yesterday. Now, taking a look at this gospel, we can apply these three levels. What's the first level? A study. A study level, you've gained some insights to bring to bear on the passage. And the first one is this: Jesus was continuing on. I'm not going to go through this in great detail, I'm just going to highlight a couple of points. Okay. Uh, as he was traveling through Samaria and Galilee, as he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. Why would the lepers meet him as he was entering the village? Why? Well, lepers were considered unclean. And when they were identified as unclean because of their leprosy, they had to be removed from the community. They had to live outside the community because their condition was transmittable. It was contagious. And unfortunately, their condition, leprosy, was something they couldn't hide. And so as a result of their condition, they were cut off from the temple. They couldn't go there to worship. They were cut off from the wider community. They couldn't roam around freely and they couldn't even be in their own home. Because if a leper sat on a chair, the chair became unclean. If someone touched them, that person became unclean. So they were isolated outside the community. Now, how did they survive? Well, they survived by carrying a stick with bells on it, And when they would enter the into the village they would shake the bill they would shake the the uh the stick with the bells and they would shout out unclean unclean so everyone would move why would they do that well they would come into a place that they knew people would leave food so that they could get the food they needed to survive so this is why jesus meets them outside the village and what do they say they stood at a distance Raise their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So they don't just say Jesus, they say Master. So they're identifying Jesus with a particular role of who he is. This is his identity. And when they say, have pity on us, they're asking for mercy. They're asking for favor, even though they know they don't deserve it. Because this condition of being a leper was something that was uh, was identified as something that you obviously did something to deserve it. You should be ashamed. And so when they're crying out for pity, for mercy, they're acknowledging we need some favor from you, even though we don't deserve it. Okay, so those are some insights that you would get that would enrich your understanding of the passage if you had studied a bit about the time and the text. Let's take it to the next level. And Jesus says to them, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would he say that? Well, one of the things that a leper would have to do when he was healed, or she was healed, was go to the priest. So the priest would confirm that you're no longer unclean. Now, what's interesting is this. This passage has a history. In in the history of the Catholic Church reading this, you hear the word priest, What do you think of? Do you think of the priest that Jesus is referring to here? No, he's referring to the the priests in the Old Testament, arriving even to the time of the New Testament, who are serving in the temple. So you think of Jewish priests. What do we think of? We think of the ordained. We think of Catholic priests. Well, hear it out loud. Is there a place in the life of Catholics where we are invited to take those places in our lives that we're ashamed of, where we have become cursed by God as a result of the things that we've done, and we're asked to go show ourselves to the priest. Confession. So in our tradition, this text was connected to the reality of confession. And it's a way of saying that Jesus here is giving us the inspiration, the model of saying, do you want to be my follower in those places and times in your life where you feel ashamed because of the ways that you've fallen short? Go. Don't hide. That's what sin wants to make you do, is hide. No. Go show yourself to the priest. And if you do, you're going to be reconciled. You're going to be forgiven and restored. What happened to the uh, lepers who were cleansed of their leprosy and they, were, they went to the priest and showed themselves and were healed? They were restored. They were restored to whom? To their relationship with God and they could enter the temple? Were they restored to the community so they could walk around again? Or were they restored to their families? Yes. This was a whole new life. And so, application to our lives, don't hide those places in your life where you're ashamed. Go show yourself to the priest and you will experience this reconciliation, this spiritual resurrection, and you'll be restored to communion with God. You'll find that, guess what? You'll flourish and be at peace and joy in the community in which you're living. And life in your family becomes easier as well when you're living in God's grace. That's the second level. Well, what about, what's the third level then? What's the third? The third level is where we get to the place of encounter. What does that mean, the place of encounter? What that means is that when I read this scripture and it says that, He was entering a village, and as he did, I, Tom, the leper, met Jesus. I met him. And I'm being invited, as I read the scripture, the Lord is saying, I'm inviting you. Tom, raise your voice. Tom, call out to me. Call out to me, call me by name, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. And Jesus, I I need to be healed. Please, in my life, I know that place of shame. God, I I don't even know my leprosy. I don't even know those places, I've hidden it from myself. Please, Jesus, in this scripture, unveil to me the leprosy that you wanna heal. You brought me to this passage you brought this passage to me what are you doing in this word what what do you how do you want to meet me in this word that's reading the scripture in order to meet the author It's utterly personal. It has that sense of nearness. Like where does Jesus actually speak to me? Read the Bible. Read it as the word of God. And you will have that sense of the intimacy of the Lord speaking to you. This is, again, this is not my theory. This is our tradition. It's in the scriptures. Look at Hebrews chapter four, beginning at verse 12. Indeed, God's word is living. This is a living word and it's effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates and divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, uh, It judges the reflections and thoughts of the heart. Nothing is concealed from him. All lies open and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. The power of the scriptures, this word of God, is that the Lord will speak right in. He'll cut right through. He will unveil to us thoughts, intentions, reflections, parts of our lives that we weren't aware of. It's a dramatic thing. The passage that I um, would relate to reading the scriptures as the word of God, as a place of encountering Jesus is Revelation 3, beginning at verse 20. Jesus says, this is at the end of the seven letters to the seven churches. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then it says, and anyone who hears my knock, no, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and have supper with him opening the cover of your Bible opening your Bible is not your initiative but your response let me say that again when you take this book at home and you open up the Bible as the word of God, you're doing it because (laughs) Jesus is knocking on the door of your life. You open this word. I should expect to hear his voice. Is that right? Say yes. Yes, a very holy young man right here. Do we expect that? Really, do we expect that when we open this book, that we are responding to the initiative of Jesus? That we are responding to his action, his initiative in our lives, where he's saying, I want to speak to you. I have something in my heart. I want to reveal it to you. I want my presence to be stirred in you. I want you to live your faith on fire. I want that fire to be stirred in you. I want you to have confidence in me that I have a word for you, the word that you most need to hear. I am here, I am present, and I'm speaking to you. I'm looking for a way in. This is the way in. Reading the scriptures is the way, one way, that he gets in to feed you. It's not by bread alone that man will survive but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus in the desert, fighting against the temptation of the devil. You're hungry. Do we feed on God's word? Do we look to the scriptures and the reading of the scriptures as this gift, as this extraordinary gift that the Lord has given to the church, given to us to say, I want to meet you every day. I know it's hard. There's so much noise out there. I know there's so many places in your life where you're just busy. I want to meet you. I want to speak to you. I want to feed you. I want to give you a sense of the confidence that my presence is with you. When you're doubtful and afraid, I can cut through it. My word can cut through it. Carrie practices this way better than I do. If she's stirred up by something, She'll say, I just gotta get in the word. I just gotta get in the word. I just need to read some scripture. I need to read some scripture because scripture has power. The word of God has power. And when I just read the scripture, I just take it in. I might not even know the places that they're referring to. What's the difference between a lyre and a harp? Who are Gog and Magog? Who the heck are the Assyrians and the Hittites anyways? I don't need to know any of that. So all that study stuff, I might not get that. You might feel a little discouraged thinking, How am i going to go deeper in my life of prayer if i haven't studied all that stuff well study all that stuff and you can go deeper but that's not the essence of what's required to go deeper oh yeah you want to live the life you want to take those principles and apply them to your life oh that's all really really good and important absolutely go 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 but if all you do is know the stuff and try to live it in your life and you're missing the encounter pope benedict said Your life of faith is a heavy burden. That's all it is. A heavy burden. And you actually start being Christian, being a follower of Christ when you've had the encounter. Guess what happens when you have the encounter, when you meet Jesus, when you read the scripture and it starts stirring something in you? Guess what you're gonna wanna do? Go study and learn how to apply. Ooh, that stuff all connected but if you start with the study you might not get to the encounter if you start with the application you might feel burdened and guilty because i ain't living it but if you have the encounter ooh, everything else gets thrown in besides we have not done a good job at promoting the encounter promoting meeting jesus the church has recommended a very simple practice before you read the scriptures that first step in that practice is you say a prayer. You say a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And the prayer is a very simple one. Holy Spirit, you who inspired the authors of these books, inspire me now, the reader of these words, so that I would read them as what they truly are, the Word of God. That is not complicated. Lord, Holy Spirit, you who live in me, Holy Spirit, please, you who inspired the writers of these words, inspire me now, the reader of these words, so that I would read them as they truly are, the word of God. And then you can just add a personal prayer. Lord, I wanna meet you. I need to meet you. And I know that even more than I want and need to meet you here, you are longing to meet me in this word. I don't have to figure it out. You are waiting to meet me here. So please, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant, is listening. Isn't that fascinating? What I just said is fascinating because I didn't say, speak, Lord, your servant is dissecting. I didn't say, speak, Lord, your servant is analyzing. I didn't say, speak, Lord, your servant is applying. I said, no, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And if I'm listening, who's doing the speaking? The Lord whoa God wants to speak to you whoa God is speaking to you oh God is actually seeking you out today how will you know where you can meet him he wants to meet you through all the things that are happening in daily life but guess what you will learn to hear him better in daily life if you learn to hear him in his direct speech okay let me say that again you ever wonder in the course of your day God what are you saying to me right now what am I supposed to do right now God please I need to hear from you right now do you ever get that you will if you ever get to that practice by going to the place where he is speaking in the scriptures yeah but tom i tried tried kind of like you did Started at the beginning went to the end got freaked out left it behind right or i tried and i don't understand the words and all that let's keep it simple if you want to read the scriptures as a place of encounter read the gospels read the gospels but read them not as a place of study, and not as a place of application, but as a place of meeting. What does that mean? What that means is, in any gospel passage, when Jesus in John 4 meets the woman at the well, who's he actually meeting when you read John 4? You. You're the woman at the well. Let the encounter with Zacchaeus, who's climbing up the tree, let the encounter with the rich man, young man who is sad, let the encounter with Peter in Matthew 16, let the encounter with Nathaniel in John chapter one, all the places where Jesus is encountering people, make it personal. He's encountering you. Put yourself into the place of the character. Now this is where we get into the concept of meditation, okay? So one way to go deeper into this prayer where you're encountering the Lord is through meditation. Now, I'm gonna be quick about explaining meditation. I wanna make it in a way that's understandable. So the first part is this, last week we talked about discursive prayer, which is prayer that you use your senses, you speak out loud, it's the prayers that you pray, the words that you pray, All of that, that's about your senses. When you go deeper into prayer and you you move from discursive prayer to a deeper form of prayer, the next stage is called meditation. And meditation is you're not using your senses any longer. You're using your interior faculties, the faculties of your soul, specifically the intellect, the memory and the imagination. And so when you meditate, you're using your intellect, your memory and your imagination in order to enrich your understanding of what's happening in the scene as a means of helping dispose you for the encounter with the Lord. What am I talking about? Think of the rosary. You can pray the rosary as a discursive prayer, right? When you say the Hail Marys and the our Fathers, like in my house, it's Hail Mary, Lord of Old Grace, the Lord is with thee, the Holy Mary, Mother of God, rivers John. Hail Mary, I said, John Luke. You're praying so fast, Jesus can't even understand you, okay? You've got to dial it back a bit, man. I swear, Jesus can't even keep up. So praying the words is an important way of praying the rosary. But if you're going to go deeper, it's you meditate on the mysteries. How do you do that? Well, you can look at the scripture of the visitation, for instance. So in the visitation, which is the second joyful mystery, you could say, and this is what we actually do in our house. This is how we pray, the rosary. I know this is a little bit unorthodox. But as one of my kids is leading the mystery, the second joyful mystery, our father Hail Mary, and they're, and they're doing the Hail Mary. I will say on top of them, I'll say, Now remember, this is the visitation involving Elizabeth and Zechariah visited by Joseph and Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. And then the leader, the kid leading, will say, in the next Hail Mary. As he's saying that, I'll say, Now remember. Uh, Elizabeth shouted out, how, who is it? how is it that I, the mother of the Lord, should come to me? She was surprised by this visit because the John the Baptist leapt within her womb. So I will be helping recall to their memory the mystery that they're meditating on. And then I'll add to it something that will be their imagination. Okay, I want you to imagine the scene. They're at the door. And what would that surprise be like? Okay, so now you're using your imagination. You're using your memory of what that scene is. And then you're going to use your intellect. Your intellect means, what does that mean? That the Holy Spirit stirred in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary and Joseph came and brought Jesus. They didn't just come and visit, but Jesus was present as well. Let's stop and think about that, how the presence of the Lord will stir in our hearts. And then all of a sudden we can make it more personal. We can lead it to the encounter. As we pray this mystery, we've called upon the intercession of Joseph and Mary during our rosary. They are being used by God to bring us Jesus. As we pray this mystery, Jesus is here, in part because of the intercession that Joseph and Mary, the mother of God, are looking down on this rosary, and they are praying with you and for you. This is a moment of visitation. Ooh, did you know that was happening when you pray the visitation? You're being visited by Mary and Joseph? So, yes, Pascal. Come on now, I want to keep your stock high. Let's go, let's go, right? But you see what we're doing here, that's using the faculties interiorly in order to help us grow that receptive, receptivity, that disposing of the Lord coming to enlighten us and to meet us. So that's the power of meditation, is we use our interior faculties, our imagination, our memory, and our intellect in order to go deeper, to, in order to dispose that sense of the encounter with the Lord. Now, what that does is it starts to draw our our prayer into an interior direction. We start moving our prayer more to the inside. And, And that's one of the beautiful principles in our life of faith, and I'm almost done, is that do you want to get beyond this world to encounter the holy God who's created the world? Don't get in a spaceship. You won't get beyond the world by going out there. The way to get beyond the world is by going within. The path of imminence, the path of going within, is the way to get to transcendence, to encounter the God who is beyond the world. That's our tradition of prayer. As we go deeper, we're going to go deeper within, and there have an ever more profound encounter with the living God who is beyond the world. And so, how do we then take this into something that would be more like a personal prayer time? Okay, so a personal prayer time. You some of you might have heard the phrase Lexio Divina. I'm gonna give you a very simplified version of that because it's really frankly all we need to be able to have that sense of encounter. And it's this. You remember I said start with taking your Bible, you say that prayer, you open it up. I'm not saying play Bible bingo. Lord, what are you saying to me? Open it up and go boom. That's what the Lord wants me to do. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you might take, for instance, the scripture of the day. You can get the readings of the day and a number of um, wonderful monthly uh, guides to help you like uh, Probably the most popular one is called the Magnificat. Another one is the word among us or share the word There's several out there that have my daily bread or our daily bread is another one Or you can just go to the Bishop's website, and you can just take a look at the daily readings. And those are wonderful ways for you to have what is the church serving up as the steward of God's word? What's the Lord serving up to us to be able to say, Lord, what's your word to me today? And then when you get that scripture, you can say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and then at a nice pace, not the John Luke Rosary pace, at a nice pace, read through the scripture, get to the end, and then just pause and quiet. And you might notice, did something jump out at me? Was there a word? Was there a particular verse? Was there something that jumped out at me? And I'm gonna encourage you, once you get through it that first time, and you're sitting quietly, Go back and read it a second time. And saying, okay, Lord, now I'm asking, please, what is your word for me? What particular word or verse or something that when I read this, it sparked in me? Oh, I remembered this particular thing when I read that. And so, Lord, what are you saying to me through that? And so once you get a sense of what the Lord is drawing your attention to, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me now in this. W- what are you saying to me? What do you want me to take away from this? What is the food that you're bringing to me in this word? How are you feeding me specifically in this scripture? That's the next simple stage of the, uh, of the, of the meditation of this Lexio Divina. Start with the quiet prayer, the reading of the scripture, you go back through what struck me. And then if something struck you, you say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? And then find a way to articulate it, to speak it out loud. Now, as a family, what do we do? This is something kids can do. So our youngest is 10 and we will pick a, a, a scripture and we'll do this, say a prayer to the Holy Spirit, Read the scripture, go back, read it again, and then take turns sharing what struck you. And sometimes we are just amazed at what our kids will say. Here's the scripture, the verse that came, out, came to me, and this is what it meant to me. But the very act of reading, praying, listening, attempting to reflect is what? It's spiritual exercise. It's exercising in our kids this sense of faith that the Lord Jesus is here. He is speaking through his word. We are coming as as looking to him as our Lord, our older brother in faith. And we're saying to him, speak, Lord. We are here to listen to you. Please speak to us. And so my encouragement to you is this. This is my last thing. Is come to the scriptures. Yes, remembering, I can see it as a book to be studied because I want to learn more about the author. Yes, look to it as a book with amazing principles and and a vision of life that I'm meant to apply to my life. But don't miss out. Don't miss out on the incredible and most profound gift of encountering Jesus in his word. He is waiting to speak to you there, to meet you there to give you a sense of his presence, to give you a sense of his power, to stir your heart into flame, to give you that sense that he is the living Lord and he meets me every day and he gives me what I need. This will fire up your faith. It will stir into flame your faith in meeting him in his word. Let's close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, our God, we thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would give us the grace of having an expectant faith to meet you in your word. Lord, help us to meet you, to encounter you, to experience that stirring into flame. For Lord, we long to know you more profoundly and to receive all that you have for us each and every day by meeting you in your word. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name, amen. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.